Welcome to the Militant Grind Podcast, featuring our distinguished guest, Lieutenant Colonel Jason G. Pike, USA Retired. With 31 years in the U.S. Army, Jason's journey from enlisted soldier to officer is a true story of resilience. His first book, A Soldier Against All Odds, presents an honest look into the life of a soldier, while his second, Out of the Uniform, Back into Civilian Life, offers a vital guidance for veterans navigating VA benefits. So join us as, as we explore Jason's inspiring journey and his insights on overcoming adversity and transitioning into civilian life. Jason, it is an honor to have you today on the Militant Grind podcast. Hey, it's great to be on your podcast, and I'm very honored to be on it. So yeah, we can, <laughs> we can start about anywhere you want to go on this one. That's a whole lot of stories. So, yeah. Right, right, right. So first, I want to ask you, because, you know, the flow is, who is the real Jason? Like, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? How was your, your upbringing? I had a regular Southern, uh, from Georgia and then South Carolina, I had them mm -hmm. right next to each other. And so I had a normal childhood, but... Uh, it was middle class, uh, but I had learning disabilities. I had problems growing up be because the way I was born, I don't know what it was. I, it may have been autism or it I failed the first grade. English and writing are my worst subjects. Oh, by the way, I'm a national bestselling author. That means anybody can be it, but no, it really was. Academics was a struggle for me. And uh, just like most parents of the world, we we really... Well, a lot, most parents believe edu education is a key to success, but there was not a whole lot of hopes and expectations from counselors, from test scores, and just people, you know, <laughs> growing up saying, hey, this is a dummy. And I said, you know, and I also was compounded. I had an osteomyelitis. I had a, a bone disease. So I had a physical ailment uh, as a child that I kind of grew out of and try to worked out of, which was, uh, it was a bone disease. And so uh, my hopes and expectations, uh, it, it was just known. I wasn't disappointed because I was too young. And so that's kind of how I started. Uh, uh, but I had a good father, uh, a good mother, uh, for the most part. Uh, we we got we had some problems, but uh, but other than that, that's kind of how I was growing up. And uh, it, academics were you in that it, it didn't look too well for for me for academics. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And so from uh, elementary, you you said you failed the first grade. How did it go for you, like in middle school and high school? Just getting by, I think, mm -hmm. just passing me by. Uh, I mean, you can't fail everyone. Uh, I was probably uh, in the middle range and, um, mm -hmm. and I just sort of just did the, I did, I was definitely not any, and I was not in any college preparatory classes at all. Uh, and the classes that I were in were just to, uh, my hopes were to graduate high school for the most part, if I can do mm -hmm. that. Okay. And so, um, did you like have any friends growing up, any other personal challenges or anything like that with, with growing up in your household? Yeah, I had a brother, older brother, younger sister. We, you know, we're, they were distance in age, but we had our group of friends that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, when I moved uh, in the seventh grade to South Carolina, I, I didn't have a whole lot of friends in the beginning and I slowly did uh, get some friends, but I only had a few friends. I, you know, the bullies and things of that nature that look, you know, they may look at me odd. Uh, and I was a bit odd, probably because of my processing ability. I stayed away from the crowds or the cliques or anybody who was like, uh, the you know, the the, the, <clears throat> the elite people. And I and I just I moved into uh, 
agriculture. I kind of got a skill in agriculture at that time, the farmers and things, because I was from a rural background, but um, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I wasn't, I was average size, uh, five foot eight, wasn't really big, wasn't mm. really big muscular. I wasn't, wasn't really skinny. I was sort of average, maybe below average in size and stature. So, uh, but uh, not a lot of girlfriends and uh, things of that nature. So uh, that, that came later. But uh, so that's kind of how I was. I was not a geek. I was just sort of different and, uh, you know, plain looking. Yeah. Right, right, right. OK. And so you joined the uh, Army at 17, right? Yeah. yeah. So the reason I joined the Army, I, now, I, you know, there's a question that comes out is like, you know, if you're going to join, I joined the National Guard in the when I was in the 11th grade of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, somehow I passed the entrance exam. I it was not the it was a reserve force, so it was a little bit less than best at the time. It was a lower form of the military kind of a reserve force. I got in there. I don't know how I passed the physical with the physical test. I told them I lied to them. I says, Hey, you know, I'm good. I'm all good. And they said, okay, with the academic test, I don't know how I passed into that because I know that my standardized scores are very, very low. In other words, I believe most of your viewers, even though I've got three college degrees right now, I believe if I took a test, I would have a lower uh, score than most of your viewers uh, on the standard. I, I think they just passed me in. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so what, what year was that? If you don't mind me asking. I joined in 1982. Oh, so 1982. Okay. My okay. Yeah. So my, they just, and it was in the reserve, so it wasn't going to active duty and I wasn't going into any technical skill. I was going into field artillery, you know, reserves one week in a month. And, and wow. we were not, we were not the high end. We were the low end. We, you know, we were drinking beer on the weekends and, you know, just mm-hmm. goofing off for the most part. Yeah. Right, right, right. And so do you um, you went active, right? When uh, active, I eventually went active duty. So what happened when I was uh, I went to basic training and what built up a lot of my confidence about mm-hmm. what I could do more was that at the age of 17, between my junior and senior year of high school, I went into uh, basic training uh, and uh, I, I, I was a slow adapter. My drill sergeant sent me to a criminal. Cr- he tried to break me out. I was one of the less than the best of the entire platoon because, you know, you have to learn your basic skills. And I wasn't learning uh, and I wasn't adapting as fast as the other people were. And so he sent me to a kind of a scared straight program within the Army mm-hmm. at a at a criminal correctional facility. I made, I mean, we, we, it was a different level of hell. Uh, when I came out of there, that was in basic training. I, I kind of got my act together a little bit more. And he didn't so he, 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 I did pass. So I did pass basic training. I was a, I was a soldier when I went into senior, when I went into my senior uh, high school, uh, mm-hmm. I had already I'd already been through basic training and advanced individual training and I barely made it. I just barely made it. And uh, they called me the most improved private of the platoon. Uh, this is what they I actually got a certificate saying the most improved of private. I didn't know if I should have that certificate or not. But, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, that I, I had problems and uh, and I surprised myself and surprised a lot of people. But I thought, you know, if I can go through what I just went through and went through, uh, I figured I could do a lot more at that time in my 18 year old mind. I did not know how. I was going to do it, but I knew I knew, I knew there was something bigger out there for me, and, and of course there was. No. Right, right. Wow, that's interesting. 
Because I mean, I you know, my brother went through basic training. He said it. It. I mean, it was easy for us. Well, for him, because of the uh, the way we grew up with a military father, military parent. It's like our, you know, we didn't wake up and watch Saturday morning cartoons. It was like, wake up, get up, go. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, so when he did it, it was like, oh, man, this is nothing. But then he was like, there were people there that were dropping out. Like I said, I, I can't handle this anymore, you know? So it's kind of it's, it's interesting to hear that, you know, just hear the contrast. But I feel like it just it just depends on how someone grew up and if they're used to that type of treatment, you know? Well, and the, yeah, so the folks who grew up with that type, like one of, one of the dudes from uh, Chicago, he's like, he used to run all the time and run outside and run around. And he was really physically fit because that's what he did. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was in, uh, I was not in sports or anything. So I had to build myself up. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, as far as being respectful to your mother and father, I definitely was. And I, I knew I didn't talk back. It's just the process of the information uh, mm -hmm. and trying to, I was already a slow processor and that trying to learn to go from a civilian to a soldier that to me, that was just difficult. And I handled it. I handled, I, I, I did it and I did it. I did it well, but I think it built my confidence up. Um, I, I wasn't scared of being outside in the, in the heat or in the cold or anything crawling over me because I'd grown up in the country. Uh, mm -hmm. But it was just the combination of trying to learn something new in a high stress environment. Yeah. Uh, even learning in a low stress environment is hard for me. So I had a lot more issues than other folks. Yeah. 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 It's interesting to hear that because every time I talk to someone about it, they will tell me like a different story, but I all feel, I feel like it just depends on the person's personal experience and what they're able to do personally. Our, 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 our basic training was like that show called full metal jacket with uh, and it was just It was the barracks. It was everything. And there was no air conditioner screaming, yelling, cussing, everything, just all at once throwing shit around and, you know, you know, fist fights and things and just, you know, working through stuff. Uh, it was, they would hit, he would hit some other folks. He didn't hit me though, but, uh, the, the, it, it was a, it was army, but it was kind of set up in a Marine type of a drill way. And, uh, yeah. that's that, that definitely. And I mean, you could say that I, the Forrest Gump movie, um, Forrest Gump had intellectual problems. He also had some physical problems when he was growing up. That could have been me as a, as a, as a entry to the military, except I had more problems than Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump actually did pretty well. Once he got in, I continued right. more problems as, as things move throughout. Yeah. Well, it's funny, man. Full, Full Metal Jacket is like one of my favorite movies of all time. And, you know, it's it's funny because, uh, you know, when you watch it, it's kind of like, whoa. And, you know, that's how they did it back in those days. But now, you know, officers can't treat people like that. Like, it's totally different. Oh, yeah, it's totally different. It's totally changed. And it's just the change comes with the culture. If the, if the culture gets softer, you can't treat. And, you know, I mean, uh, that's you just can't treat. That's just the way it goes. I mean, that. That's that's what happens. You because you get people in that haven't been trained. You're not going to have a military because everybody's going to get the hell out of there if you treat them like they did before. And yeah. so you can't. You got to keep some numbers up too as well. Yeah. Right, right. That's another thing I thought of. I was like, you know, if they, if it was kind of like Full Metal Jacket, it would not. It, no, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way anybody would last now. You know, I could. I mean, I could handle it, but I know no. You know, like that was. 
that was pretty intense and it was funny uh i actually watched it a couple of weeks ago uh in the movie theater and i was like my first time watching you know i was i wasn't even born when it well i was one or two when it came out i think it came out in 88 87 and um it was just like a whole different impact watching it in the movie theater versus like watching it at home you know so yeah man <laughs> big picture sound effect oh, yeah man, going the sound on, effects yeah. the music all of that and when a guy you know when the uh i'm not sure if he was a lieutenant colonel or whatever but when he was talking you know to uh a pile i think he called them um you know i was just thinking like i was thinking about that like if that were to happen today it wouldn't last but then it was like to us it was funny you know because he did say some jokes but then it's like that guy internalized that so much that he ended up you know killing himself you know what i'm saying so it's kind of like it's it's a weird contrast because he was breaking them but he broke him to a point where it was like, he, you know, he's out of here. I know I, I can relate with Powell because I was the one that was getting up at night and running outside because of a dream. Even when I was sleeping in that situation, my mind was still racing and I would jump out and run out uh, half naked onto the parade field. And I would stand at attention because I had gone through a dream and I thought I should be somewhere. And then I was out there in my skivvy, in my, my, in my underwear. And it's like, oh, God, I hope nobody just saw me. You just run out because my mind was in stress even when I was sleeping. That's how yeah. that was. Now, I didn't I didn't go to the point of getting a gun or even thinking about killing myself. But wow. I was definitely at a stress point that was beyond. Uh, uh, it was almost at a medical situation. And so a matter of wow. fact. I did get some sort of a bronchial infection and I was at that. You don't go to sick call. You don't go see a doctor. You don't, if you have, you, you, because that's considered a sign of weakness. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I remember spitting blood and shit out of my damn mouth because I had some sort of bronco, but I was going to die before I go to the doctor. Because if you went to the doctor back then, that means you're weak and you can, we're going to try to, we're going to try to bring you down more. So I mean, so that, yeah, it was just totally different. Uh, yeah, totally different. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because like back, because we could say like, oh, now people are softer. But then it's like, man, there's people that drove themselves insane behind the way they were treated. Like people have PTSD and never been to combat, you know, but it was just because of like how they've been treated while they were in the army and, you know, in the armed services. So yeah. you say you joined in 1982 um, mm -hmm. and you were active duty. What um where did you actually serve in in active duty at? I served uh well with my active duty time I served in Virginia, Maryland, Korea, El Salvador, Canada, Afghanistan, Germany. Uh I've served in five different countries around the world. 9 years were overseas and uh so I got to see a whole lot of the world and uh, and I got to see a lot of the United States. Uh so there's a yeah Mm -hmm. Right, and you were a were, were you in combat? Um, and were you in the uh, uh yeah. Desert Storm at all? I was not. I volunteered to go to there, but they said they don't have any slots for that. I was in the reserves during the time of Desert Storm, but yeah. I did go to Afghanistan. I, I was there for about a year. And that was my combat operations. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And how was that for you? You know how how was going to Afghanistan for you with like all of the 
you said that the trouble and, you know, the things that you had to overcome while in the army, because I feel like that's the ultimate, you know, uh, you know, like a lot of people go in the army, but they never want to go to war. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not something that they look forward to. They just probably want to get in and get the benefits. But you actually went in and then, you know, had your trouble most improved and all of those different things. Next thing you know, you're in combat. Yeah, combat. The combat tour came a little bit later in my year uh, years of service towards the end. Uh, but I had built up a whole lot of PTS before then. I had been through so many situations that the, going to combat for me uh, was sort of a redemption. It was sort of a way to get away from a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I, I had some very bad situations in life where I was investigated false investigations that was in Korea. I had a lot of events that had, I had a lot of PTS that had accumulated before I ever went to a war zone. In the war zone, I did very, very well. I got trained up, I prepared for it, and I did very well. I got my best evaluation of the military in Afghanistan. Uh, but I had, my dad had died right before I left to go to Afghanistan. That just like, sucked me down. I had I had some built up stuff from uh, another tour in Korea where I went under false false rumors and investigations that was just totally bogus. So I was carrying a lot of stress into Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, I was just trying to maintain my mental uh, capacity of doing the, you know, getting through day to day, not because of the war zone, but more before because of my dad's death and other things I was carrying into the war zone. And mm -hmm. a, a lot of troops took care of me, helped me out. And I wasn't really scared to die at all. Matter of fact, I had a death wish. I said, I wish I could die because, and it wasn't Afghanistan. It was other things before Afghanistan. So I was on the West side of Afghanistan and a province called Herat, Herat province. And, you know, day to day, to day we had bombs come in, uh, indirect in fire, uh, mm -hmm. I was in a support level. I did service support. So I did not have to go and shoot any enemy even though I, there was a suicide, there was a suicide bomber that came on post that I went to go look for. I was going to kill him, but that's just one event. But I never found him. He went and blew himself up in another place. But um, but really, Afghanistan, uh, I did very well in overall. Uh, I had a, I was a commander there of troops and the troops did very well. They took care of me and uh, I took care of them the best as I could with my mental capacity already been weakened from other things before I went there. But um. Yeah, only only one. It was one tour in Afghanistan. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It was like uh, two thousand in the early two thousands, right? No, not really. It was two thousand. I went there in January, about March of two thousand eleven. I got there. I oh. got out. 2012. So it was a little bit later. It was a good bit later. I had served up a whole lot of time before I went. Uh, wow. I had served in Korea twice after nine eleven and. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, yeah. So I, I just it was it, my draw of Afghanistan came later in my career. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. And so I mean, you could have been retired after 20 years. What made you want to? Um, oh, I just there? I wanted to. I, that I felt that that was about the only thing I could do. I, I had when I was in the reserves, I had I'd had civilian jobs that I, I've been fired from two civilian jobs. Uh, one just from goofing off and wrecking a car. And then the other ones I should, couldn't get along with my boss. So I didn't think civilian life would be anything worth going back to once I got into the military and found some sort of a common area that I was going to be successful at. But um, I just, 
you know, I thought that I was doing pretty well and uh, I was moving up the ladder, going to schools and seeing foreign countries and having a good time. And I wanted to stay in it as long as I could until all that PTS uh, caught up with me. And I had to go ahead and medically get myself out of there because it was just too much for me. Yeah. Right. Wow. And so is there any other thing that you went through um, while being in the military, uh, you know, that that calls the, the PTS, like anything, um, mm -hmm. you know, in El Salvador, South Korea, um, no, South, South Korea. Korea, right? South Korea. <laughs> It has so, to be South Korea. So uh, El Salvador, I did. I've been twice, and those were hazardous duty areas. And uh, mm -hmm. funny, wild stories there. But I think something a lot of people will relate to is being uh, in South Korea. Uh, right, not nearly, not too long before I went to Afghanistan, I, I was a senior guy. I was a lieutenant colonel, which is a senior manager in the military, a senior officer. I don't know if you've heard the term of ghost lighting or uh, uh, throwing somebody under the bus, but that's what happened when I was a senior person in the military. So uh, how this story goes is, um, you know, in the military, we have to move every two to three years, even though we're in the army or in the military or whatever, we're still going to a different assignment. You got different politics, you got different, uh, you know, priorities and each assignment that you go to throughout the military. Right. Uh, yeah. And so I was in South Korea. Uh, it was 2007. I said, you know, this is my third time here. I, I enjoyed it twice. I did it well. I eat the food. I, I get along with the culture. I might as well go back again. I went back this time. It was different. And um, I walked into an office uh, when I, my new office and I could tell people were different. People were, I just could tell there was a difference. There was a tension there uh, that I had never seen uh, before. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was considered senior and, and uh, there were some power plays and there were some politics that I didn't get along with. I, I felt that my ability to, uh, you know, belong to the military was from leadership and administration and not from doing a lot of the network, the nug work. I, I was senior, but the power over there was actually to do actual work at a ground level. I'm, I'm going to say that I was in medical. I was in the Medical Service Corps, and I am not great in research and publications. I am better at leading and doing administration things of leading troops and leading organizations and things of that nature. But mm -hmm. I I had some disagreements in about how my way should happen. I, it wasn't anything arguable. It was just professional uh, you know, professional uh, disagreements and things. But uh, I found my face facing uh, two things. One, um, yeah. It, well, the first one was really just rumor. I, the first one I had to go under was a pedophile. I was a pedophile. In other words, I, I did have a daughter that goes to school there that was in the first, first second, and third grade. Mm -hmm. And so they threw a rumor. What they do, so you can't get rid of somebody. So the way the setup is in the military, once you're in, you're kind of, once you become senior, it's hard to fire you. It's hard to get you transferred. You got to have some ridiculous things go on for it to happen. So what they were actually kind of smart if they didn't want me around there. So they threw out a rumor that went around the town that I was a pedophile and that hurt a lot, a whole lot. And that was totally bogus, but it was just a rumor. 
Once that went away, a year later, I faced a federal investigation of espionage against the U.S. government, and this was more formal. Uh, the formal charge was that I have been selling secrets or passing on documents to foreign nationals, and I had to. I had. I went through a federal investigation, which was again that was a bogus event, but it was more formal. I had criminal investigation division involved. I had the military intelligence involved, and it was. I was in a high state of anxiety and stress on things that I didn't do. Now, in my book, a soldier, you know, in my book, I will tell you the things I, you know, I had screw ups with, just like I told you about, I couldn't adapt too well when I came in. But with this one, this was totally bogus. I was, you know, I was, I was on top of my game at the time. I felt I was on on, on top of my game. I, I, this is my third time in Korea. I've been there before. I know that I know the deal. Uh, but they didn't. They didn't like it. They, I, I walked on turf. I walked on people's turf. Everybody's got a little turf in their space, and I didn't walk. I didn't play the game correctly, according to them, on a professional level. And I found well. First of all, the rumor went away that I was a pedophile. That once that went away, then I had to go through CID and MI on uh, charges of espionage against the U.S. government, which was also bogus. But that was really stressful. I had people following me around with boom cameras. I had computer crashes. I had a lot of strange phone calls and people trying to hook me. I had to get a defense attorney. I never went to the proceedings of a court uh, because there was really nothing there. They kept trying to get something. Right. Uh, how this thing happens is um, uh, in the military. So people can give false charges to other authorities and and then you have to go through an investigation just because it's the procedures to go through even though the people that are investigating probably don't think it might be bullshit they have to go through certain procedures and that's what i had to follow through and it uh definitely was a, a very hard time for me and 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 my family uh to have to well i didn't tell my daughter she was too young about all this stuff until later she knows now she's 22 years old but um, but no, that was just a really, really hard time. And false, we, we've heard of people being accused of things falsely, uh, and that's very hurtful. And uh, and uh, and that's that that was a tough time. Yeah. 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 I can only imagine. Do you like? Is there any reason why you think someone would have did that to you at the time? Yeah, I definitely know why. Um, because I walked in and I was on someone's turf, mm. meaning someone's space and there was an there was an there was a guy well, we'll make up some names in the book i call him ted small uh, he had been a full colonel he had retired and became a contractor and he had been there for years he had built up a whole lot of research he he has a he was a powerful person he's a very he's a very well published uh, author of many things medically and i did not play the game in other words I, I did not, I was not brought up. I'm not a doctor. I've got a master's degree, but I don't have a doctor's. I'm not a publisher of scientific journals and things of that nature. So I basically had a different walk and a different talk and a different uh, thought of how I should, you know, work into the organization. But he was a very powerful character. He had a whole lot of influence. And I didn't get along. I didn't walk that walk. And that's that's what uh, upset the apple cart, I guess. Uh, and uh, and it came from the power play of his players. And uh, if this guy didn't do it, it was probably one of his friends in that office that did it. And that's that's kind of how it is. I just saw there was so many second and third order effects. And, and I could tell when I walked in there, I said, oh, God, I knew something was going to happen, but nothing ever 
never happened for six months. That's a good thing. I, I knew something. It's like one of those things you ever thought, like, I know, I just know, but I don't have any proof on it. And then seven months, six months later, after I had arrived, that's when all the shit bit. That means you're you're a pedophile. When the pedophile didn't work, and then there was the federal charges of espionage. So I was a pedophile and a spy within a year. And so I just, but I knew these. I knew something was just. You just had that feeling, and uh, and, and and that feeling came true. Yeah, it was uh, strange. Yeah. Wow. So you like had it. At least you had a chance to mentally prepare yourself because you kind of like expected yeah. it in the back of your mind. You know. The, the expect. I I just. The expect that was also stressful because I know I, it's like you know something's going to happen, but you don't know what it's going to be about. Mm. You, you have that feeling, and I had that. I don't know. It's like an animal instinct that you just know, and that feeling went on. I felt very uncomfortable there. I felt I was walking around on eggshells. I just felt that something was going to happen, and it eventually did. And that was probably around January, February, two thousand. It took about six to seven months for it to form. Um, uh, but you, you, I, it's your instincts, uh, your gut, your heart, uh, and you can feel things. Uh, and uh, that's. And and then once it happened, I'm thinking, this is it. I, to I told you, Beverly, I told you this was going to happen. And then and then, of course, I I'll give them credit, the enemy. I'll give the enemy credit. They'll, they'll change. They change their tactics that came. So when I was brought up on charges of uh, espionage, I thought it was about the pedophile. But it wasn't. It was totally different. About it was about espionage, and so uh, I say, "Wow, man, they've changed. They they so they didn't hit you one way. They're going to try to hit you another way." Wow. And so yeah, my my credibility within the army among the people that moved me went way down. Uh, even though I was I had a whole lot, but um, I think there were some people that were probably smart that knows some situations, and I did get to go to Afghanistan. Uh, and redeem myself. And so many, you know, when we talked about Afghanistan, I felt that I was in an area where this is going to be my game. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to do well. I'm going to get redeemed. I'm going to come back and I'm going to, and I did. And so I was also working off adrenaline. I was, I was, I was also had a lot of stress, but I said, I'm going to do the best I can and come back and I'll show you that I actually do well. Cause uh, so, and I did, I did very well, but uh, it took a toll on me uh, mm -hmm. to be, to go through all of that and then and then work as hard as I did in Afghanistan, which I really was just taking care of leading soldiers and just enduring the pain of the past while I was in a war zone was just took a toll on me. And then I come back and they said, hey, man, we're, you're good. You're good. You can go anywhere you want to. And uh, like, whoa, this never happened to me. And I was like, you know, you're, you're, you're good. You know, they get they give you that secret handshake after you come back from battle and you've done well. And uh, I went to Germany, but I was totally burned out. I went to Germany for my last two years in the military mm -hmm. just to really uh, go ahead and just sort of retire and and really start to seek some mental uh, mental and medical uh, help, mental post-traumatic stress. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so what, what year did you get married? Hmm. I got married late in life. I got married in 1997. So we just, yeah. So 1997, just past the anniversary. So I was probably 32 when I got married, had a baby uh, three years later. Uh, so it was kind of, we're kind of lucky to have a baby because we, we were so old in life, but uh uh, but that was probably the best, you know, if I had any regrets, I probably should have had two or three because I really enjoy, uh, you know, leading and uh, taking care of mentoring kids and, you know, talking to kids and things and children and raising them up. And uh, so but uh, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, that's when I got married. Yeah. We're, wow. we're still 
we're all still together. I mean, nothing. I mean, my, my daughter wrote, uh, she read the book and she was impressed and she never knew all this crazy stuff happened uh, because she was too young to really, um, it was, she was just too young to talk to her about stuff like that. But now since, since she's an adult, she read it and she was impressed and she was, she didn't know all these things happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know it takes another toll um, on you being a, a family man and, you know, going through all of these different events and, you know, with your father passing and then you going to Afghanistan, well, going yeah. to Afghanistan. So it's like, if us knowing that before you, did, you, uh, you mentioned all of it, I would have been like, okay, wow, this is impressive because, you know, the majority of guys in the military, well, not the majority, but like, you know, when they go to combat, they're not really married or anything like that with the, with families, you know? So I know it was like a different type of, of, of thing for you, you know? my daughter behind. I mean, my, my with my one my wife, I've always, you know, I've had to go here and here and here. And so she's she understands, but I'm leaving my daughter, only child I got behind, which is I kind of think of my daughter and uh, as a stress relief with all her friends and playing with the friends and being a playful father. For me, that just comes naturally. And uh then I'm going to I'm gonna have to leave them. See, they were with me in Korea. So my daughter, so for the most part, my family uh moved with me everywhere I went. Uh, uh, but Afghanistan, that's when I went alone. I went by myself, didn't have my daughter, my daughter. And so, uh, that, that, that added to the stress a lot. I didn't talk about, but, uh, I was stressed because I'm leaving my daughter. That's like, you know, that was more, that was stressful for me. And, uh, then my, you know, my father had died recently. My book's dedicated to my father. My father was a big believer in me. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, uh, but, uh, and so that, that, that was, that was hard. I, I could have, so. I, you know, at that time before Afghanistan, I could have gotten exempted from the tour uh, with medical. And I almost did with mental therapy, mental help. I had to, I went through a mental, uh, I had to go to a psychiatrist. I had so much stress. I was just, I was just totally just, I mean, just crying and just, I couldn't even think. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I, I did tell him, I says, you know, to my boss, I says, you know, I, I can get out. They'll write me an exemption letter and I could get out. I don't have to go to Afghanistan. Um, but he says, you know, I understand that. And he tried to say, we need you. We need you. We need you. And what would your dad think about it? And I had to, I had to work through all that stuff. And um, I, which I, I worked out most of that stuff when I was in Afghanistan. But I went ahead and went to Afghanistan. And, uh, and I had to tell the troops that, you know, you're going to I'm not thinking uh, appropriately and I'm not behaving appropriately because of things that have happened. Uh, and I, I didn't tell them at the time about the investigation that I went through, but I did tell them about my dad's death. And uh, a lot of my soldiers took that and they understood it and they helped me out as best as they could. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, those sound like a lot of odds, you know, <laughs> a lot of odds that you had to go through. So many things in this book that were against the odds. I mean, my family and friends would look at me and like, wow, Jason, you, you're still in the army. You, you're not kicked out and you're actually getting promoted. You're going to schools and you're graduating. And mm -hmm. so it was just one thing. And I just said, wow, I'm doing actually pretty good. And I am having some trouble along the way. But um, I got arrested for DUI. I got arrested, you know, but I did I did continue to move up the ladder. And I had that uh, mindset of just don't quit on anything and to work through any legal or issues and things. So, I mean, I wasn't perfect, uh, maybe, but I, I did move up. I did go to a whole lot of schools. I saw a lot of things and that I would never have seen before if I was uh, a regular civilian. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So it sounds like if you would do it all again, you would go. Oh yeah. <laughs> I would do it all again. And I listed, uh, you know, and I, I just started from the bottom is really what it was. And I just moved up inch by inch and you built yourself confidence. It's like a little notch on a belt that, and mm-hmm. you're going there and you can see where you came from and like, Ooh, okay. And you may, you may fall down sometimes and uh, you just keep, and it's just really a methodical slow process. But um, overall, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I would do it. Over that's again. that's one thing I could appreciate about the armed services is because like if you're a motivated person, you have the ability to move up, you know, like almost guaranteed, you know, because I even me seeing my brother move up like at a dramatic rate, it you know, and I feel like that's kind of like pushing him to to stay in there. You know what I mean? Like I get to at least see myself progress and and do more and be better. Because he's going up for a sergeant first class soon, you know. So he's, you know, and right now he's a staff sergeant. So me looking at it, I'm like, man, all you have to do is just do an extra, you know, 10 some odd years and you could retire and, you know, you're good to go. You know, right. like, why would you leave that situation to come out here and deal with this civilian mess that is yeah. all over the place, you know, like. <laughs> Right. You get a pension, you get VA, you get, you get, they do take care of you. Uh, you I mean, uh, we're not in a world of pensions, but after 20 years or so, at least at the time, you do get a pension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you have a uh, you have thrift savings plan. And then, so you go to schools and you get to see other countries and you see people from all walks of life, all races, religions, and yeah. cultures. If you stayed in like a, a small town south somewhere, like where I grew up, you're only going to see a certain amount of segment of the population, other people. And but with the military, it's every everybody and everybody has different ideas and things. And so and and, and then travel and you're learning. They, they send you to schools like your your brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's to different schools as he goes up, and he's seeing different people and things. And uh, that sort of that's pretty neat. Yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Like I have the only reason I didn't join right after high school is because of the Iraq war. And I'm telling you, I took the ASVAB. I met with a recruiter. I was like, man, I want to do this. But then I was like, I don't want to go to war though. <laughs> you know? So I, I mean, I signed up for the draft that everybody had to back then. But then I was like, man, if it wasn't for all of that going on, you know, I, I would have did it more than likely, you know? Yeah, I, I, wanted, to go, yeah, I wanted to go to war. Uh, I, they had me scheduled to go to Korea right when 9-11 broke out. So mm-hmm. I was already on the way to Korea. I wanted because I felt, you know, I'm a soldier. And matter, I grew up when there was Rambo, the first Rambo that came out with a Sylvester. Right, right. And so I was running around as a little kid shooting things, and we played army. And to me, I grew up with guns. Doesn't mean I'm, I mean I'm a, I'm an okay shot, but I kind of grew up with that mentality. I killed you, you killed me, and and then Rambo came out, and that was my hero there when I was a teenager. I was like, I want to be a Rambo. And then so, uh, but so when I went into the military, I said, Yeah, just you know, if I'm in, yeah, send me, send me anywhere. And uh, uh, I did volunteer for Desert Storm, but there wasn't a slot or position for that. And then later on, I got to go to. Afghanistan, but um, but at that time I was about burned out. But I, I did go to El Salvador twice for uh, humanitarian assistance missions that were hazardous duty, and uh, but I enjoyed to go out to any place outside the United States for any adventure, and I, I kind of. Kind of, I, I still do. I'm still adventurous. My it kind of my daughter's adventurous, and she's right now. She's over in Egypt. She's visiting Egypt and stuff. But uh, she's got that adventurous side of me. That she's oh yeah, her. man, I do too. I remember um, I went to China by myself, and people were like, "You're going by yourself," you know. It, 
I've been in a play like people can't believe it, you know, because typically, you know, young black men, you know, or like there's kind of like a depending on the society you grow up in, you kind of visit places other people go frequently, you know, mm -hmm. and nobody ever heard of a young black man going to China, you know, or going to, uh, you know, I've been to Dubai, you know, uh, Paris, you know, South America, all of that, you know, Colombia, Costa Rica. Um, I'm gonna, yeah, a few places, but in my family, you know, there's a lot of men that never really traveled outside the country to any destinations like that, you know. So I just know for some people, it's like you just have that bug where it's like, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. But I always been that type, like, you know, my friends. I remember one time we were in Atlanta one night, and um, we were like, okay, look, let's go to DC. And so we were like that night we packed ourselves and then we're headed to DC, but I've always been that type of person. And that's the type of person I still am, but I hate being on the plane. So one of my ideas is like, you know, later on in life, I'm just going to live on, you know, the, that part of the world, maybe in Dubai or something. And I'm just going to travel to, you know, different countries along that way. You know what I mean? It's like go to Egypt to go to London, go to Turkey, go to India, you know, live out yeah. there for a few years and then travel. But that's like, that's something I want to do because I love being around different people and different cultures. And it also opens your eyes to like what you've been taught. You know, you, you kind of learn that you got, you, you're taught things from ignorance about different people, you know? Yeah. No, no. I know you discovered it being from South Carolina because there's yeah. nobody out there. It's probably like, it's probably you're either black or you're white, you know, it's like, <laughs> growing up you're black or you're white but now i think there's only black white and mexicans now but uh yeah it's just the way it was and and yeah and you're right I, i'll 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 allude to your travel thing i mean even though i've got two i've got three college degrees two masters one bachelor's but my biggest uh learning was going to like yourself traveling and seeing other people and living out in those areas and visiting and seeing that was a bigger education for me than any of my college degrees oh yeah yeah. And it's funny because people ask me, like, you know, do you speak Spanish? And I'm like, for some reason, when I go to Spanish speaking countries, all of the things that I learned in Spanish class just comes back, you know, because it's right. like learning by just like sitting there reading and, you know, whatever versus like being around and, and seeing people's energy. It's mm -hmm. like that helps you learn the language. Like when I went to China, I didn't know how to say hello. I didn't know a word in Chinese at all. You know, but then when I went and I started being around the people, it was just crazy how you can communicate with people without necessarily knowing the language, you know? And I was kind of, yeah, it's like you could feed off each other's energy. It's like sign language and, you know, shaking your head like this, like this, like that's almost universal, you know? But yeah, I got by in China. I know what ni hao means now. I'm like, oh, that must mean hello. Because every time I walked in somewhere, they're like, ni hao. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I get it. Cool. If I was never like in that area or in that space, I wouldn't understand, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, South Korea, the, my, Korean food is my favorite food. I eat kimchi and the dishes of Korea every day. I know where, I know what's good, what's not. So a lot of that, some of that, and, and, and if I don't have Korean food, I'm, I'm trying mm. to, pepper or garlic and I, to get that taste because uh, I got it. I got that uh, taste on me. Yeah. 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 I love Korean food too. I love how they just have like a variety of things, you know, that oh. you can eat at one time. Like I, I absolutely love it. Korean barbecue, you know, one of my favorites, but yeah, man, it's a good thing that you, uh, that was, you know, that's, 
that's one of the, the best things uh, about being in the service. I have a brother in the Navy right now and I was like, he's in Virginia. And I'm just like, man, you should just stay, you know, a couple more years. You could retire. You'll only be like 35, you know, or 38. That's nothing, you know, like, like you still they also get a VA check. Like they have any medical issues at all, even just small medical, they get another check from the veterans administration in addition to their regular uh, retirement. So, right. And then the VA loan and, you know, I was telling him you could, cause he bought a home in the VA with his loan, his VA loan. And I'm like, you know, once you leave, rent it out and, you know, go to Greece or something, try to, you know, just live a little bit, you know, explore because, it's hard for any average person just to be able to have the opportunity to do things like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you've got, he's got the experience to travel. He, he's got a passport. He's been there somewhere around the world and it's no big deal for him to go and just visit other places, have a few rental homes or things of that mm -hmm. nature. Uh, right. Just your whatever. And you could, and the, exactly. I could, I could live off my retirement and VA easy. And I do, but, uh, yeah, so it's a whole lot of opportunity. And so once you get out, you can do anything you want to do, you know, as long as you're not in any type of legal or debt issues and things. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And so in your book, Back into Civilian Life Today, um, mm -hmm. you know, you also help uh, people, yeah. soldiers get back into civilian life. What, mm -hmm. what made you, you know, want to write a book like that? Like, what are some of the struggles that you've had? Being, yeah. I'm sure you had them, you know, being in yeah. the army for 31 years, like, golly, <laughs> like, that's a, that's a grown adult, you know, <laughs> 31 years in the army. And, uh, I, I was reaching my time of ret uh, retiring and I was trying to get out and I wanted to seek assistance as far as getting my veterans benefits. And I was, and I was in Germany, uh, and, there was nobody there to help me at all. I mean, I, I, I knew somebody in Washington, D.C., but he they said that I was out of the jurisdiction. So you had to work with Germany. And so Germany, there was no one there to help me out to figure out what paperwork I do. I mean, you got all these medical records and you got all these documents and mm -hmm. getting out is a big process. And I want to get my veterans benefits just like everyone else does. But you, you're supposed to give it to a service officer that will help you process the paperwork. Well, the, my service officer was not around and he says, I don't have any time for you. And, and I kept asking him, I said, please. And he's not. So I said, well, I'm going to do it myself. And that's what I did. So I went through the, and I don't advise you to do this, but I had to do it. I went ahead and did it myself. And I learned a whole lot of things about the veterans administration. I learned a lot about the benefits process. And I thought, wow, one day, and that was like eight or when I retired, it was eight or nine years ago when I went through that process, I did very well. I came out with a hundred percent, which is really good. And I didn't have to fight after I had my paperwork so squared away that when I went in, when I threw it in, they came back and says, you're good. hundred percent. You're, which is the, you know, and I, I, I didn't think I was going to get hundred percent. I thought I might get 70 or 80%, but, uh, Hey, whatever, you know, whatever. And uh, I learned a lot with that process of going through it. And, uh, and that's why I wrote the book. Uh, a lot of myths are out there. And, you know, your, your brother is 38. When he gets out, he'll be 38. And he might he might think and I don't know. But a lot of people think, well, I don't deserve it because I was never in combat. I don't deserve it because I did support activities. I don't deserve. Well, the way the way I want to say is like, if you if you do deserve you deserve it if you served anything at all, even if it was just you know six months or a year, you do deserve something. If 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 you were, I mean, hurt. I mean, and even I, I would 
I I want to encourage people to apply for the veterans uh, benefits, regardless of what you think about anything about your body or anything. Just go ahead and apply for it and let them figure it out or let the service officer figure out what, you know, what whatever benefits you're going to get. And then because you don't know what's going to happen later in life, even if you are healthy and you can go slam a basketball, you know, it doesn't really. What I'm saying is like you want to go ahead and apply for it because later on there might be something from your service that will be connected or, or you know, so uh, <clears throat> that's what I'm going for is. I want to dispel some myths. I do want to encourage uh, people to apply uh, because so many people get out and they say, oh, man, I should have applied, but I'm too old and it's been a long time. And so then and so they're like regretting they didn't apply. And uh, so but there are so many benefits of being of service. And I, I don't like the term disabled because you're not necessarily you can't you can still work. Matter of fact, if you're labeled disabled, which is a uh, you, you actually have higher precedence or you have higher priorities for uh, for placement into work if you want to work. So but uh, there's just so many benefits that people really don't realize the second and third order of things of applying and later on possibly getting things that they never thought they could imagine they could, might get uh, from their service connection. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's good. Cause I also feel like a lot of people are ignorant to a lot of the benefits that the veterans can get because they're like support our veterans. I'm like, man, they almost got it better than the typical American. If you ask me, <laughs> like, you know, like said, people can't get a, a loan for a hundred percent and disability and healthcare, you know, so I'm just I, sometimes I'm confused. Like there's yeah. travel, there's a, there's travel opportunities. So if you're service connected and you're considered uh, that, uh, you, you'll have there's there's a lot of nonprofits that support veterans, but you have to show that you have a sheet of paper saying you're in the Veterans Administration, you're you're a disabled veteran of some sort, and. Yeah, so there's just so many bit of I go to Colorado, I go skiing in Aspen, Colorado, funded by the VA because I'm a veteran, because uh, I'm a disabled veteran. They have various events within the VA or outside the VA, sporting events, travel opportunities that are, are you need a or let's say you're combat injured and you need a new house. So there, there's there's organizations that give houses away to veterans that are disabled that are, you know, have with specific disabilities. But there's just so many things out there. It's just incredible. And that's why I wrote a book. And there's so much out there. My book is real short on this, but I have links to various sites where you can go dive into things uh, and to try to open your mind out uh, of, of more uh, of more opportunities out there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. man. I, I love to uh, love to hear that because I have a few veterans in my family. You know, my dad, uh brother cousins you know it's like all the way down to my grandfather yeah so <laughs> so yeah it's really good to hear that man and um so i have a question to ask you as a lieutenant colonel usa retired that people ask me all the time you know because my brand is called militant grind so i want to ask you what does being militant mean to you Oh, that just means being rock solid. In other words, don't let anything sort of, I mean, things are going to, you're going to get down, you're going to get hurt, or you may get a little ruffled, but you got to get back up. It's a militant is like uh, being strong. And uh, that's what that term caught me. But uh, I think it's just being strong and getting back up and going back, going forward and learning and learning from falling down. I think that's what I, I look at militant is that way. You no, know? Well, it's crazy because we have the same exact definition. 
<laughs> yeah, because it's like I tell people, you know, it's like when I when I um, you know, well, when you see the term militant, it's like you don't think of anybody that's weak, that's easily deterred, that's not sticking to their mission, that's not grounded. And like you said, rock solid, you know, so it's it's very refreshing to hear that from you. Wow. I didn't know I guess, that. Yeah. It's like, I guess I'm spot on, but that's what, you know, that's what I think. Like if, if, if someone was to tell me Jason is a, is, is a militant guy, i am like, okay. Yeah. You know, like there's only one version of a militant man to me, you know, in my eyes, but a yeah. nice guy, it could be, you know, but militant is like, yeah, this is the type of person this is. So yeah. It's good, yeah. It's good to hear that. Cool. Like people, all, people assume that I was in the military and I'm like, Oh, well, I'm like, no, then I'm then I thought I was like, maybe I should ask somebody that has actually been in the military and <laughs> see what they say. <laughs> yeah. And uh well, a lot of young people they ask me a question is like, what would some people say, what would you like, what are your lessons to somebody like of all your years in the service? And I would apply it, I would say just you know, it doesn't matter if you're in the military or not. I just say you, you show up at the right place at the right mm -hmm. time right attitude if you're doing that you're doing better than half of the people more than more than half of the people right. I, I didn't know I, I was i joined when i was 17 i don't know what the hell i was doing and, and even as a lieutenant in a lot of places i didn't know what i didn't know where i was going i didn't know how to act I, and so just showing up and having a good attitude and being positive you know the right time and right place and uh just do the best you can i mean that's going to be better than a lot of these people who want to, eh, no, he didn't tell me, complain, you know, and just keep your mouth shut. And, uh, you know, I think you, that's kind of, I, I look back to a lot of success in life for people who had a good attitude. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and that's good. Cause it's, you know, that I feel like that's all that it takes. And people are looking for like, you know, secrets and different methods and, you know, it's like, it's going to be rough. Just have a good attitude, keep going. And things will change but we're in a time where it's like people want to be instantly gratified like if they don't see results immediately it's not gonna work but you know that in reality that's not how life is you know as you know it's like oh, yeah. you're gonna stumble it's like when i started i didn't think i was gonna pass and next thing you know i'm a lieutenant colonel 31 years you know so <laughs> that's just how it happens if you you persevere you keep going you know things are gonna show up for you Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so what are go, go, go ahead. I'll just like the viewers. I've been fired from jobs. I've had arrests and I've had a lot of problems in life, but uh, I kept going forward and trying to learn from them and not quitting. So uh, those things you'll find in my book, uh, a soldier mm -hmm. against all odds, which is a, a best-selling book. And then, so uh, I'm coming out with another book on toxic leadership later the uh, next year. And that'll be a, uh, about what do you, what, what if you're in a, in a workplace where the boss is abusive to everybody and what to do in a wicked workplace and not just an asshole, but somebody who's just wicked, but that's going to be my third book I'm working on. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And now that's actually uh, from your time from, uh, <laughs> El Salvador, right? Oh, <laughs> South Korea. Yeah, South Korea. Right, right. That'll be that'll be yeah. good because a, a lot of people need that. Yeah. You know, for me, I'll be like, I just don't want to deal with them at all. But sometimes you have to deal with that. And, well, you don't have to, but it's like you know, sometimes people feel like they don't have a choice because they need to do this to survive or for some other reason. So it's like learning how to cope with it is very important. Yep, sure it is. Just how to deal with it, how to handle it. So yeah, 
and uh, I'm going back to my past and to other, I've got a lot of other people I've interviewed uh, to give them, you know, other ideas and stories of what they've done and what they've seen. So mm-hmm. I don't want the people that are reading it or listening to it. I also want to do an audio book to that. Uh, and so, uh, but um, yeah, so, so they're not alone. They're not alone. And then also this first book's got an audio book. So I'll be doing the audio book for the third verse, third book as well. So yeah. Well, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, yeah, Jason, man, this has been wonderful. Um, you know, a lot of different insights. And I, you know, I also applaud you for being vulnerable and honest with people and telling them, hey, I have a DUI, I've been arrested, I've been framed, I went through all of these things, but then I still persevered. And that's what we're all about, you know, on Militant Grind. It's like, I want to hear stories about people that went through things that have overcame, you know, because a lot of times people just want to show the the shiny parts of their lives and not want to reveal, you know, the dark moments. And I feel like that does a disservice to people, you know, in the communities or the world to make them think that, you know, everything is going to be a crystal stair when it's not, you no, know, at yeah. all. I mean, I don't care who you are. I mean, you might be the president or you might be the quarterback, but everybody's got another side and everybody's got some dark side and um, a good memoir will bring out the, you know, the dark side as well. And, but also show you, you know, how these things, uh, you know, life, you're only seeing one side of uh, folks and uh, no one's perfect. And uh, mm-hmm. I, def- I definitely was not perfect. And, but uh, you know, all you can do is your best and to keep moving forward, you know? Right. 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 Yeah. And that's more, that's more of the message that I want to put out. Cause you know, I, I can't attract people by certain things, but then it's like, no, I want to show that, you know, no matter what you're going through, you can keep going, you know, like, Oh, I don't have time to work out. It's like, yes, you do. You could, wake up an hour earlier and do some aerobics in the living room, you know, like we all have our, our things, <laughs> you know, I work out every day. I mean, I'll tell you what, I, that working out to me is sort of a, that's it's, it's, it's mental, but it's physical, but there's just so much to working out. And if I don't work out, I, I feel like I feel bad. I mean, what I'm just saying is because it, it, there's an energy that I have that I have to get out. Usually mm-hmm. the morning, the mornings are, for me is good. And uh, if I don't have time to go to a gym, I'll pick up a 15, uh, 15 pound weight and go out and just walk around uh, outside in the countryside and just lift weights while I'm walking. There's something you can do that, you know, even if you don't belong to a gym. You know. Right. Right. Exactly. And I tell people that all the time, but I'm like, if you want to have that excuse, then you must not really want it. You know, so <laughs> if you really want something, you will you will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, yeah. oh, yeah, Jason. So where can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, Jason, my website's jasonpike.org, jasonpike.org, P-I-K-E, Jason. And now I have all my social handles on there, my two books and possibly, well, my third book later on this year will come out there. Uh, you'll see the inspirational messages, the blogs on jasonpike.org. Uh, org and, and my books are on Amazon audio. The first book audio is in my voice. I am the n- narrator and the author of the soldier against all odds. And then my second book, I only have, it's just a small book, but that's out there for your veterans, like your brothers and things that want to know some benefits. So yeah, jason.org again, that's how you can get to me on the, on the, on Amazon and the books and things. Yep. Oh man. Thank you again, Jason. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful show. Um, you know, let us know when the third book comes out, of course, <laughs> you know, well, keep us informed because I, I, I definitely would want to check that out myself. Sure thing. All righty. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.